join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. I wanted to talk about what your life was like as a child, not only specifically related to music, but uh, what were some of the, the influences in your life that eventually led you uh, uh, to my play? Fa my father is a musician still to this day, mm -hmm. and uh, he's been playing since 1957, uh, playing gigs. Uh -huh. And uh, my, great, my uncle, my dad's brother, it was a musician, and my first cousin, Ronnie Snow, was a yeah. shredder. Yeah. In the 80s and 90s, he won all the guitar shootouts. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, he was in a band called Savage White back then. and, and <clears throat> Anyway, yeah, so I was always around music. I was always meeting musicians. Yeah. Like Eartha Kitt would call my house. My daddy played with Eartha Kitt. Yeah. The famous Eartha Kitt yeah. singer. Cat, Catwoman. Uh-huh. She was the original Catwoman. That's right. right. She'd call my house. Daddy on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what kind of music was your dad playing? He was playing rock and rolls back playing, in the 50s? Well, he, in the 50s, yeah, he was playing rock, you know, the rock and roll of the day, uh -huh. you know, and he was, he played in like, you know, the, uh, the Nighthawks uh -huh. and bands like that. And he uh, also, he recorded, uh, an, there's a song called Angel Baby. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Uh -uh. Was, uh, John Lennon actually said that it was his favorite song. He loved the guitar part, and that was my daddy. Get so, out of yeah, that's so super it was called, cool. It was by a band called Rosie and the Originals, uh -huh. and the Originals was my dad's band. Wow! And they were just hired by Rosie. Rosie came from New York, had some money, and needed a house band. Some money down, I got a band. Yeah, they recorded it at Cosmos Place. Nice, Cosmos Place. Yeah. yeah, it's now it's like a big song for the Cholos in California. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's they still super play cool. like Angel Baby. Yeah. Yeah. So he was playing in bands like that. Doctor John. He was he was playing with Mac. You know, off and on. Uh, there was another guy called Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stone LeBlanc. He was playing with Rolling Stone. And then eventually he got into the jazz thing and was playing with, uh, you know, um, Teddy Riley and different guys like that. that sure. You know, yeah. Were doing a lot of jazz. And, but, you know, yeah, so I was always around. I was constantly forced, basically. Sure. To hear it. What, phase, what phase of his music career did you come up in basically like when you were old enough to start meeting these right. people or be well, around so like I'm, I'm old was he in jazz at that time yeah he was doing a lot of jazz gigs at that time because he was playing bass and guitar yeah yeah he was taking any giddy kid he had three kids four kids and so he, okay so that was the sole uh, means of support in ninth ward uh-huh and so um yeah so he was just doing whatever he could do yeah and it's kind of like me i'll play whatever i'll play country and western if it's paying i'm playing sure I don't really care about genres. Yeah. I don't want to get, I, and I, 
throughout my recordings, all of my recordings, if you go through one of my records, you'll hear maybe jazz and you have a heavy metal song, a funk song. I just write them the way they come. Sure. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get stuck in the genre. Sure. You yeah. Know? And for years, I was stuck in the trad jazz genre because I was playing with all the big swing bands. Right. The Jazz Vipers. Uh, still, I play with the Cottonmouth Kings, which is a d derivative of the Jazz Vipers. But, yeah, I saw that. But yeah, and I just was like, man, I, I don't want to be stuck in any one genre. I don't want, you know, it's just, it's the pits. You know? Yeah. For me, anyway, I feel like. And when, uh, like, how old were you when you started being able to? be around your father while he was playing and meet some of these people. Man, I remember going to, remember Shakey's uh -huh. Pizza? Yeah. I remember going to gigs over there with my daddy. He'd take okay. us all over there and we'd have pizza and he'd play the gig. Yeah. Rancho. Yeah. Shakey's Pizza on the West Bank. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah, seven maybe, eight. Seven or eight, yeah. okay. I got turned on to, uh, to the Beatles when I was probably, my old man turned me on to the Beatles when I was probably six. And I started really enjoying it at seven or eight, mm -hmm. you know, like everybody, right? Sure. Most people, anyway. So you got to see him transition from uh, rock to... R&B to... Yeah, okay. Yeah, to, to, to jazz. Is that something that registered with you, or you were just kind of too young? I never thought about it as being odd. Yeah. It never, it, like, you know, it, um, and I guess that's the way I am now, is like... I, I don't find it odd to be a jazz player and then play a heavy metal band. Mm -hmm. it you know, it does. It's music. Yeah. Right. And, and when you were a child and your father was making these, I wouldn't call it a transition. He was just being a well-rounded musician because he right. didn't really stick in one area for an he extended period of time. Band, he was playing it. But did it occur to you as a child that okay, he plays different styles of music, or it's just dad and he just plays music? Right, that's basically what it was. That's me. so you just you came up thinking this is what it is to be a musician. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it, and, it and stuck and with When you. I got into my teens, my cousin was peaking on the rock scene, mm -hmm. and he was a heavy metal guy. Right around the early '80s is when I kind of got into heavy metal, and I was like, ah, I don't want to hear nothing else. Yeah. Okay. Van Halen sold out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Michael Jackson song. Right. Hey, man. Yeah, some people get curious. vicious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, in the long run, he just, you know, did what he did, you know? And, and it was music. It's music. Um, I plotted around for years in metal bands, going to lots of rehearsals all the time and not doing many gigs that paid any money. Uh-huh. And um, I guess in the mid to early 80s, I decided uh, my old man's over there making money and I was up on a roof roofing to make ends meet because mm -hmm. I was in the metal band that only practiced right always had practice yeah and uh, never really played any gigs that made any money and I'm thinking man I'm working I'm sweating my butt off and I'm looking over at the skyline of the city and I said yeah my daddy's over there making money man yeah playing music yeah I can play bass you know so after that I just decided ah, I'm gonna go start playing bass man I'm gonna start playing upright bass and trying to get some gigs and my old man helped me to get a few gigs and mm -hmm. you know and, it, and then it took about maybe four or five years to like get a real repertoire in my head of songs okay M most people don't really and even me at the time i was like how does he know all of those songs i can't there's no way i can remember but you know you keep doing it in repetition you finally you get to where you got a, a repertoire of two three four hundred songs 
Wow. Yeah. In your head, you know, yeah. that you could just play uh -huh. if somebody calls it. So, uh, starting off in music yourself was metal in the 80s or had you started uh, playing before I, that like with school bands yeah or i had played in school band i was uh second chair cornet okay and at mcmain high school in new orleans uh -huh. mcmain magnet in like 78 79 and then from there i wound up in chalmette high and uh in 1981 and my dad knew the band director and he brought me in with the and he and the band director says What's he play? And my dad said, he plays uh, cornet. And the guy goes, I got a hundred trumpet players. <laughs> Small man says, well, what do you need? Yeah. He says, I need a bass player for the jazz band. And okay. He, said, he plays bass. Yeah. And I was like, huh? Right. <laughs> that started my career on Quick on transition. Bass. So it was strictly necessity. It was strictly necessity. Between the roof and, and the gig. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. The, I started in jazz band in school, and then when I got out of school, I was more still a heavy, because I had, we had to go through the heavy metal fair okay. period, right? But yeah. I was still in the jazz band in school. Okay. And I kind of learned to read and read music and play jazz tunes, but I didn't take it serious after about four or five years. I, you know, I was, I was into the metal thing. Yeah. Uh, you know. And has it always been something that you did, music in general, has it always been something that you did for, for, for no, no good reason, so to speak, no particular reason? Like, you just do it because you want to. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I never thought, um, I never really thought that I would be like my pop and my uncle um, <clears throat> making a living at it. I was always under the impression, well, you know, i got to go to trade school, AC or go to college. I never really went to college. I went to, I did a year at Delgado in music. I had a, I was all state band um, in 84. And uh, I got a scholarship. I had a, got a scholarship to go to a couple different places, San Diego or Chicago. Uh -huh. And also, and then I had a girlfriend right at the time and I didn't want to leave. Of course. <clears throat> and uh, so I, made, I went and I took my scholarship and I went to Delgado. Uh-huh. Like, do you, as we call it. Right. And I did a year of music there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then I dropped out and I went to work. Right? Yeah. Like everybody, you need to make money. I need some money now. I got to go do this, wash dishes, whatever it was. You know, roofing, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. When I came up, you took the job, you know. But you never ever once I put down an instrument like a, you still oh i was still playing you, but, you played no matter what yeah exactly i was still playing i was uh i was mostly practicing you know we would do a lot of practices and you know uh not many gigs yeah <laughs> there's something though i i spoke to a, another musician once and his family was um musically inclined you know his, uh -huh. his father was performing and so were his brothers uh, his, his uncles and um, so he got to see that coming up and I feel like for a lot of kids uh, musicians are somebody that you see on stage or hear on the radio or see on TV they're not yeah. like they're, they're, they're not registered in the minds of children as I could be one of those it's like right. you know these are semi stars or something these are not it's not attainable by us so growing up in a family where you have yeah. musicians it makes it possible I had in your so mind. So you know? many musicians in my family. My cousins were musicians. My my dad, my uncle, my uh, second cousins were in the business. Um, 
that uh, I, it kind of almost turned me off to wanting to be a musician. I almost was at that rebellious part of like, nah, oh. everybody in my family's a musician. I, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. And uh, and so it led me into doing other things, jobs, and you know. Uh -huh. And eventually, you know, I can't. I, you know, I told you I was on the roof. Well, I didn't tell you I fell off that roof. Oh, okay. I fell okay. off the roof one time, and then when I was on the ground, I was just laying there going, man, I can play bass, man. <laughs> You're going to yeah, fall no, off the yeah, bass, huh? Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, uh, why, why am I doing this? And, and, and then that led me into, like, okay, well, already, you know, I had the natural ability to, it's already in my blood to do this. He can't fight it, you know, because I tried to fight it for years. I was like, no, no, my old man's like, you know, you're going to do this, and I'm going to send you to these lessons. And, yeah. and I was like, no, man, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be a football player or whatever, you know. Yeah, right. Do your own thing. And um, turns out my dad was right. Yeah. <laughs> so, was it uh, the, the the gig that he had got you that was for upright bass or electric bass? Yeah, it bass? was on upright bass. Uh -huh. That was my first time playing upright. Oh, God, that was painful. Because I was an electric bass player and I didn't have the chops. No chops, no frets, no it's no cord. It's a different animal too. Sure. It is bass, but you got to know intonation. You got to have intonation because there's no frets. Right. So there's nothing to guide you. There's no dots. Yeah. So you develop. It takes a little while, but after about maybe four or five months of me doing it, I finally got to where I knew my intonation, where everything should be. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can hear it. Mm -hmm. I could hear if I was out of tune or. Okay, I and understand. The cool thing about electric upright, I mean, an upright bass is you could slide into the right mode. Uh huh. You might hit the wrong, but you could always fudge it a little bit. Fudge yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, I got you. Well, that's cool. And so, then, so um, I got a lot of bands down uh, yeah. that you're in. Uh, I hope to be able to go through a few yeah, of them yeah, with sure, you. Man. Um, little Freddie King was Freddie the first King one on my King. list, but uh, you were playing electric uh, yeah, bass. Yeah, I play electric bass. What happened was I was with King James and the Special Men, uh -huh. which was a pretty big band in New Orleans for about 10 years. Uh -huh. From 2010 to 2019, or 2020, they, they finally disbanded. But in 2019, what happened was I had started growing tired of playing it, and I think I kind of figured we missed our mark. Mm -hmm. we, we should have peaked years before that and went big with it, because we were, we were. I mean, King James and the Special Men, we were pulling you know, every gig we were playing by the time I was, by 2016, 2017, was totally packed. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, with an eight-piece band, we were walking I was going to ask you, how, how many you guys? Eight-piece band? Yeah, eight pieces, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and by that time, I had, you know, kind of peaked. And, and I was kind of ready to leave the band. I just couldn't do myself to do it because the, the, the camaraderie was so great in that band. Sure. And... Uh, I got, uh, one night I got a call uh, from Freddie and he said, look, I need a bass player and I really love you to come play bass with me. And I was like, look, Freddie, I'm playing in so many bands right now. I, I, can't, I don't know if I could commit to you. I said, but let me tell you, I got to play tonight. Let me call you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I played a gig that night with King James and the Special Man at the Saturn Bar. We had a regular residence at the Saturn Bar okay. on St. Claude yeah. every Monday night. And so the next morning, Tuesday morning, I got a call from King James, Jimmy, and Jimmy was like, look, man, I'm going in a different direction. I'm going to lay off you, the guitar player, John Rodley, and the sax player, one of the sax players. He said, I'm trying to take this band. And I was like, look, man, he said, you know, I love you and all, and blah, blah, blah. And he is, he's still, we're still friends to this day, but uh, he, you know, he's trying to make it not so bad. And I was like, hey, man, perfect. 
Because I, he, I was about to say he did you a favor, Freddy. didn't he? He helped you make your mind up, huh? Yeah. And so uh, little Freddie calls me like, you know, not even 10, 15 minutes late. Look, man, I, I said, Freddie, don't worry. I, 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 I want to do it. I'm ready. And then he goes, uh, okay, well, we got a gig in two days. Buy you Boogaloo. Nice. <laughs> that was my first gig with Freddie, and I've been with Freddie ever since, 2019. Yeah. Through the pandemic and now, you know. Freddie was working during the pandemic, believe it or not, man. We were working, so. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And he is my main gig. Uh, Freddie is my main. Uh, I cancel other gigs to play with Freddie. Okay. I got yeah. you. Yeah, because his, his uh, catalog is huge. Um, and it's not that it's burnt. It's not that it's, um, it's not intelligentsia music for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, it's gut buckets, man. It, well, I was about to say, it's, you get a feeling in your gut and roll with it. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, um, for everybody listening and watching, uh, Little Freddie King was uh, at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival for 42 years. Uh, yeah. He was a member of Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. You can find him on Wikipedia, and the list goes on and on. So yeah. I'm sure you were really excited about doing it. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to do it, and but I was just so tied up, and I, I was so into doing everything and I didn't want to impede Freddie because I really respected Freddie. How, how did he find out about you? Place. Well, we, well, he knew my dad, he knew my pop already uh -huh. and Wacko Wade, the drummer uh, with Freddie, was also good friends with my pop and uh, so they knew me already and they hit. Uh, we started, this special man started out at BJ's, okay. which I was telling you about in the Bywater. Yeah. Well, so did Freddie. Oh, okay. And Freddie is a regular at BJ's. Okay. So we crossed paths a lot. He would come in on gigs when we were playing, and we'd come in on gigs when he was playing. Okay. And so the name just got kicked around. Uh, he, him and his bass player split. His bass player left and uh, on some pretty weird terms, but that wasn't yeah, nothing to do with me. But um, So he was looking for a bass player, and so somebody must have wanted a, one of the fans of... King James was also fans with uh, Freddie, uh, said something about me, call Robert, you know, from, yeah. from, from Special Man. And, uh, okay, so at that time at BJ's, he was not a solo artist, he had a band together he was playing with. Freddie had a band, yeah. Okay. It's the steady band, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. And uh, and, that's how, and then I got the call, like, the night before I got laid off of Special Man. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, uh, I mean, how regular is that now? It's, it's kind of tapered uh, off or know, what? Man, you know, Freddie does... Freddie does like like I just got my new schedule and it was a little slow in August because it's that time of year. Right? Sure. And he only did like two gigs last month and then there's like four gigs this month coming up and then October's got eight gigs, man. Wow. You know, so <clears throat> October, November, this uh, beginning of December is the is the fall season is really good for musicians. Sure. And the best time is like February, March, April, May. Mm -hmm. That's the best. But fall's not too bad. Summer kind of sucks. Winter kind of sucks. Yeah, well, summer kind of sucks either way you look yeah, at it. Right, <laughs> we right, can't move, exactly, you, know? you know? Yeah. How but, are you able to accommodate? <laughs> That's a demanding schedule, I mean, relatively. Yeah, you got you to gotta go through. Like, I do, uh, I, do, I do seven steady gigs a weekend from mm -hmm. Friday through Monday. Mm -hmm. And I do all doubles mostly. Okay. And, and where's uh, this at? Uh, I play four. I play four days a week from two to six at the uh, gazebo on Decatur. Okay. Three of those days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I play with my dad's band, with okay. my father. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, on Mondays I do my own trio. And what's his I band? I sing a lot. Of, you know, do a lot of, and I do everything from Satchmo to the Ramones. Okay, so, well, that's know. cool. Yeah. The, the name of your father's band. Franklin Avenue Underpass. Okay, Franklin <laughs> Avenue Underpass. I want to let them know, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so. And then, uh, yeah, and then I play with the, the, the Cottonmouths, and it owns Cottonmouths. That was games, next on my that. list. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're playing electric, playing electric bass there I'm too. You playing up? Oh, that's yeah. right, because that's a swing band. Swing band. That's right. Okay, so you're violin back and forth between the two currently exactly. steady. Yeah. That's awesome. I play with them every Friday night at the Spotted Cat on Frenchman. Okay. And. Um, and those guys too. That's one of my main bands too. Mm -hmm. like, but even I'll even take off from them to play with Freddie. Sure. But they're kind of next in line. If I, and I've been with those guys. We were all ex-members of the Jazz Vipers, the New Orleans Jazz Vipers, which was kind of a hot swing band in the early 2000s. This, that's what I find so cool though. This is uh, like a big change of pace from slow roll and blues. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Is is the diversity in your ability to perform, is that, I mean, I know music in general is a passion for you, but is that also a draw for you to, to, to yeah, be able to man, diversify? It, uh, definitely. Um, I, you know, I was doing trad, trad jazz is what, jazz paid for my rock habit. That's how I used to look at it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that sounds terrible. Felt, <laughs> your know, rock and roll habit. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of felt boxed in by a genre, you know, it just, and so I wanted to spread out more, and that was one of the reasons I was with King James and the Special, because the Special Men used to do that old New Orleans R&B rock and roll stuff. Okay. Fats Domino, Jesse Hill, uh, um, um, uh, Mother-in-Law, Arcado. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, Arcado, yeah. And um, so I had already had a, uh, I already knew a lot of that stuff from my pop, played with Huey Piano Smith, so I knew a lot of it. The New Orleans R&B, and I grew up, you know, like most people in New Orleans, we grew up hearing Fats Domino. It's, sure, it's as common as hearing the New, the Saints. You yeah, know? you're right. So, um, yeah, I just got real boxed in. Now I don't want to be boxed in on any genre. I just got claustrophobic, and I, I was like, no, man, I'm gonna start branching out. I'm gonna start doing my own thing, yeah, you know, recording, and I have seven records out of my CDs of my own stuff. That's all original. Wow. And it runs the gamut. I've done trad records of all original stuff. I've done uh, 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 swing and uh, Latin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and then heavy metal and funk and, you know. Where can they find that stuff? Uh, Louisiana Music Factory. <coughs> okay. On uh, Frenchman Street has it. And Spotify, if you want to go to Spotify. I got a lot of stuff on that. I'll dig up some stuff and yeah, include the Amazon links in the article. And, you know, okay. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, you hear a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to talk about new members. Today, I've got an interesting one. The guy's name is Philip Dusour. And he felt like metal bands had too many doomy, gloomy songs. And he couldn't let his newborn son listen to these things. So he started his own album to replenish what he felt like his newborn son was missing. He's from New Orleans, lives in New Orleans, and his genres are metalcore and post-hardcore. So his son's name is Liam, and he wanted to make metal songs just for him as a hopeful keepsake. For the musicians out there vetting, he does have chops. 
He's played in uh, Louisiana, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Colorado. And currently, Philip is working on the next Raise the Death Toll EP, and also this Lyrics Philem EP. Check it out, y'all. And now back to our show. Uh, do you ever find yourself borrowing from one genre to experiment with in another genre? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I kind of feel like everything is related to the blues. Yeah. Rock, rock and roll. Yeah. Is related to the blues. One hundred percent. I mean, listen to Led Zeppelin. You know, listen to really great rock bands. They were all into the blues. Yes. Same thing in in swing. Mm-hmm. They use blues progressions. Okay. Not all of them, but a lot of the songs use a blues progression. Mm-hmm. The Saints moves to a blues progression. Okay. So I think maybe the unifying genre that unifies all of them would be the blues. Yeah. Right? So that's great. And you're yeah. well rooted in that. Um, rooted from gospel. Even. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It came out of gospel. That's so, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how how uh, has that been received by people that are, I guess... Uh, restricting themselves to just jazz Nazis and right yeah, that's a good metal, way to put it metalheads <laughs> that won't listen to anything exactly like those uh, people you know um, <clears throat> man you know the bottom line is is you can always get them on music is music and then they totally agree with you yeah you know they may say ah, I don't listen to nothing but metal and it's like okay you don't like the blues well I like the blues if you follow in with them a little bit you'll, yeah. they start to agree with you and they understand <laughs> As um, I, I guess what I'm saying is being received by a populace or a crowd, do you find that some things don't resonate as well with those people, yeah. the, the altruists, I guess yeah. you would say, you know? Especially the schooled guys. Yeah. The guys who go to school for, I'm a jazz guy and I went to school. Well, you know, jazz was stolen <clears throat> by musicians who didn't go to school. Yeah. They couldn't even write music. They couldn't even read it. Yeah, but he was born inside the grid, it sounds yeah, like, yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, yeah, sometimes you get those guys that say, oh, E and A, that's all you play in? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, man. Well, yeah, and you, what do you do? You, get, you, you can't fight with people about it. If they don't get it, they will eventually get it. Yeah, no, I mean, eventually I, they get it. They th- that's not your job or your task or, yeah. or your passion for sure. So yeah. I mean, it really becomes irrelevant. I was just kind of curious if some people scoff at the some, idea. Some do. I know? get it sometimes. Oh, you play with that guy. Oh man. <laughs> hey, bro, I'm working. Politics everywhere, yeah, ain't there? I work. I work. You know, I work. Like I said, eight, eight. Uh, October, I have thirty-two gigs in in thirty-one days. <sighs> That's insane, dude. <laughs> you <know>? Seriously. <laughs> That's crazy. In May, I did 29 for Jazz Fest. No, in April, I did 29 gigs in 30 days. And I could have did 30, but I took one day off. Yeah. I just canceled one gig and had somebody sub for me because I was just so burned out. Yeah, I bet you you could do a two-finger death punch right now with the calluses, huh? <laughs> yeah, probably so. I bet. That's serious. Um, the next band I want to talk about was uh, the Melatons. That is my 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 baby. Yeah, your baby. Me and my buddy Pat Ricks, 
uh, who was the singer on a lot of the first three records. We've done seven, and he's been on each one of the last uh, three mm -hmm. to four on a couple tracks, but he kind of got out of the business. He got kind of got uh, high blood pressure and things like that, and he had to back off. And yeah, he's a barber. He owns a barber shop in uh, Hilton in CBD. Oh, okay. It's called Pat's Barbershop. Cool. But um, we kind of, we were friends since high school, and we always wanted to do a band and do something that was really New Orleans sounding. You can't get much more New Orleans sounding melaton. I was going to say, I love that name, dude. Merleton, yeah, you know? yeah. So we do. We did it the way New Orleans people say it, and Louisiana yeah. people say it. It's melatons. Phonetically speaking. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and uh, and we just went out there with the idea, man. Let's just do originals, and uh, the way to just you know whatever it hit, wherever like if we heard it as a jazz song, we did it as a jazz song. If mm -hmm. we heard it as a heavy metal song, we wrote it as a heavy metal song. You know, uh, first couple of records were definitely pretty heavy. The mel melatons uh, and then uh, heavy metal, heavy yeah, metal. Yeah, it was pretty heavy metal. Okay, yeah. and uh, it was uh, called the melatons is the first one, the bards of melatonia, and the second one is called knuckle sandwich. It's got a big sandwich with a with a knuckle with a hand in it. Uh huh. And um, then after that, we kind of like, well, let's do a swing record, and then we did an all swing and Latin record. Yeah. Of all originals. Uh, cool. Yeah, and that was called the Swingin' Melatons. Uh -huh. <laughs> We'd change it as we would change the genre. How How is it that your partner could um, switch up the genre so much as well as you? Did he have a similar well, he background? Did, he, was, he did okay. Yeah, he was a singer since since he was a kid, you know. He sang in the church. He was okay. a choir guy. And he's got that that blue-eyed soul kind of voice, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but... Um, some of them he didn't do as good, some of them he did well. And, you know, if he didn't do it well, I would take it over and do one song, sing a song. Because, you know, knowing the genres and the styles, I, he, he didn't, he wasn't as much a jazz guy. Okay. But, but for everything else, he was the man, you know. I, um, I saw a video online of y'all performing as the Melatons. Uh, there's an accordion. Uh, well, um, the accordion player is my, our keyboard player. Oh, okay. And so sometimes he'll pull out the accordion just to... Okay. Yeah. I kind of liked it, though. It was know, like, it was, it was like that particular video, I, I don't know what to call it to reference it, but it was like, uh, I felt like a, like a juke joint, but with an Acadiana feel to yeah. it with the accordion. I but really it's liked also it. the, he's also, he's very important, my keyboard player, because me and him have been scoring the music like I was talking about earlier, but he also plays in all of the gigs with me, and he was instrumental in the Beatles, which is another band. And the Beatles was basically me and my buddy Anthony on the drums. We all lived in the Beta, and the guitar player was from Liverpool, which, yeah. was, which was super cool. How about that? Yeah. And and instead of uh, instead of George Harrison, we had an accordion player. Okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> and we did two CDs of that music, all originals. Okay, and that's and also at Louisiana Music that's Factory. That's also at the Music Factory. <laughs> you can get that on Spotify and. You know, Apple, whatever. Amazon. Great. No, that's good. Yeah, and that was more of a Louisiana sound. We were trying to get like a almost a Cajuny uh -huh. rock sound. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's my buddy Rick Stelma. That's cool. Was, uh, I was digging the accordion, man. Yeah, he's a great accordion player too. We um, lost in Italy. Did you? Yeah, we went to Italy about four years ago. 
right before the pandemic, the summer before. And Lil Freddie had got me a gig in Rome. So I had one gig in Rome and I was going to Italy to hook up with some friends of mine who are from Italian musicians that come to New Orleans all the time. And, uh, and I was going there to kind of meet some promoters and festival people. Yeah. And I wound up meeting a few of them in Ravenna. And, and so we did like Bologna, Ravenna, Peru. And then we wound up renting a, a villa in uh, Cochiano, which is right outside Perugia. Uh -huh. And they have a big, huge uh, music festival every summer. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't get in the festival, but we just busked outside the festival. That's cool. And we were the only American band out there, so we were really doing well. Yeah. Yeah, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so we, me and him went, and we went with another friend who played guitar. He just came, uh, used to play with the Melatons a little bit, Sam Camerata. And uh, yeah, we just spent 10 days, man. We got a whole villa in Italy for like $500 for 10 days. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you plan to do with the contacts that you were making? Like, which band were you eyeballing for that? I was going to try, you know, I was trying. Well, the pandemic hit, and that kind of put a damper on it. And sure. it's still open. I still talk to those people. And who knows, as travel gets better, uh, you know, maybe I'll maybe we'll wind up there in a year or two. So, you know, but uh, I was planning on trying to bring the Melatones over there. Or okay. Some form of the Melatones anyway, because, you know, it could be good. It get expensive to try to bring a five, six, seven-piece band. How many guys in the Melatones? Uh, well, it was rotating members, man. Each CD had like <clears throat> twenty different guys. That oh I wow! Would use on it. You did y'all perform live though? Oh yeah, we, we we did lots of live venues. And how many uh, how many guys play, would like, you? I'd usually use uh, I, you know, we did the uh, I would try to always have like a five or six-piece band. Okay. At least two horns or one horn at least. Yeah. Guitar, bass, drums. Uh, piano, okay, and at least one horn. But I'd love to. I love having two. I love having two horns. Sure. If you listen to the Melatones music, there's some heavy metal stuff with a horn section, dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was a big fan of uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Sure. You know, that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know? Earth, Wind, and Fire, even. You know. Absolutely. The funk. I mean, horns are rock and roll. I don't care what people say. Yeah. Well, look at uh. You know? My favorite is uh, Chicago Transit Authority. Right. Chicago, Chicago Experimental Brass Band. I'm yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I love all that stuff, man. Yeah. And in New Orleans, that was always a big thing. Even the rock and roll in the 50s and 60s, they always had horn players. Yeah, well, like you said earlier, I think a lot of that stuff, uh, it didn't seem out of place to us. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But when you go elsewhere with it, it's something new. Exactly. You know, yeah. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the last uh, on my list was uh, Smokehouse Brown Trio. Smokehouse Brown. Smokehouse is, uh, what can I say? He, he, uh, uh, Smokehouse plays with a band called Johnny Maestro's Blues Band. And Johnny travels all over the world. He's based out of New Orleans. And he's got a really good blues band. And so Smokehouse came around about five months ago and he's always been at Freddie's show so I know Smoke I knew Smoke for a long time uh -huh. and he's like you know he sends out a he calls Chris Davis so I call Cakewalk a lot of people call him Cakewalk because his nickname he's, so, he's such a great drummer but uh, Cakewalk called and he was called all the ex-special men oh. minus King James Okay. and he said look Smokehouse wants to do something with the special men and uh, and so we got together for a gig, uh, Mardi Gras night. We opened for CC Adcock. Wow! Who I know you're familiar with CC. Yeah. And uh, and 
and all, we, we were under an impression that, you know, we were going to go into the special man kind of bag. And it wound up not being that, so three of the other special men quit, and me and Chris stayed with Smokehouse. Uh-huh. And now we're just the Smokehouse Brown Trio. But we do every Monday night at BJ's, and it's really hardcore <coughs> Chicago style blues. Uh-huh. And, and this uh, is upright bass for you? No, I play, sometimes I'll play upright. I have a half size that's <coughs> uh, a half size bass, upright bass is the scale, same scale as an electric. Okay. So I'll bring that sometimes in play. Mm-hmm. But uh, I play on a 7 8 which is almost a whole full size bass. Right. And there's no way I could go boom ba doom ba doom ba doom ba all night long. Yeah. Yeah. Killing myself. So, yeah. On an upright. So, uh, but I'll bring the uh, half size every couple of gigs. I'll bring the half size bass and play upright. But, but yeah, it's it borders like hardcore blues, rock and roll. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's the kind of feel that is. Last night we had a couple of hard uh, players came in. Andy J. Forrest, who's one of the best harmonica players I know, he could play with a horn section, you know. Yeah. Yeah, play parts. That's cool. And then Bobby Lewis from from Little Freddy's band was there, and he's a monster player too, you know. He's uh, so yeah. That's what we're doing on Monday nights. I'm doing uh, that's the nine till eleven at uh, BJ's. Free red beans and rice. Are you are you considered like a, a house band there? Yeah, we're considered kind of like the house band. Yeah, we don't know whether yet we want to start pushing it out into other places, but there's some plans to do a record in Chicago. Oh really? With a big uh, with the label uh, for the blues. That's known for the blues. I won't say no names. Yeah. Yet, don't want to jinx it. But um, yeah, so that. That's where that's at. Okay. And that's a fun band, too. And and Smoke is incredible. Smoke's like... Smokehouse play... He reminds me of Billy Gibbons. Yeah? Yeah, dude. He just plays... His leads and his solos are so Billy Gibbons-esque. You know. Is he he's singing also? Yeah, he does some singing, too. Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Sometimes there's some stuff which <clears throat> instrumental, too. It's just a jam, you know? Yeah. So... How long have you been with them? Uh, since since Mardi Gras. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lundi Gras. This passed. Yeah, just okay. passed. Yeah, that's been together since then. Yeah, but I played with you know the the drummer Kate, uh, Chris Davis. We played in a bunch of different bands together over the years. He was in a special man. Uh, we were in a band with uh, me and a trombone, um, him and a trombone player called Three Piece Mix. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So what was, I mean, that's fairly quick to be eyeballing a recording in Chicago for a label. Was that Smoke's, uh, Smoke's original yeah, intention no, in, in putting no. it together or it just kind of happened? It just kind of happened. Cool. And Smoke has connections already. Okay. And he must have turned them on and said, hey, this is what I'm doing now. And this guy goes, so there's a, uh, I can't remember the record, but anyway, they want us to redo this record that somebody did in the 60s. Uh-huh. And they want us to do the same music mm-hmm. to uh, Anything. a fresher recording of it. Okay. And so you recreate it, or has it got some of y'all's? We're gonna recreate it. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be a little bit of us and a lot of what it was. Roger. Gotcha. So. Um, I wanted to also talk to you about um, what you could tell everybody about sync licenses. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, fans that listen to this yep. stuff but there's a lot of musicians that listen to it too so yeah anything that you've found uh, so far would help is you know? copyright your music don't trust nobody else to do it for you 
Uh, I find that a lot of the young bands, that's their problem now. Yeah. They don't know nothing about, they know nothing about copywriting their music. Mm -hmm. And it's the same trap that every band's fell in since the beginning of recording. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, well, I'm young and I just want to get out there and I want to tour. I want to get on a label. Get signed. Get signed. That's it. I don't know, even the Beatles knew nothing about publishing. Sure. Your money's in publishing, bro. If you ain't got your stuff copyrighted, somebody else has got it. Yeah. So when you decide to quit playing or you, you know, that song that you wrote 20 years ago that you thought was just yours sitting in the vault somewhere, winds up on a movie or winds up being played by somebody else and you didn't copyright your stuff, take the time. Yeah. Copyright your music and uh, and 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 registered with a uh, with a, a PRO like BMI or ASCAP, sure. SAC in Canada. Yeah. You missed the boat, bro. Yeah. That's, Make sure. Yeah. Then you know how many musicians throughout. It's the story. It's an age-old story, right? Yeah. How many guys got screwed out of mu mu music? Yeah, and, and really right now, I can't even imagine what the arena looks like. It's got to be piss poor pitiful because they got lawyer lawyer firms buying up catalogs just so they can sue for rights to... to BlackRock. What's that big investment company, BlackRock or yeah, something? They yeah. own all. They're buying up everything. That's so dirty to me. <laughs> it's a dirty, low-down business, but you don't have to be dirty and low-down. Sure. So, well, you register, your, like you said first, you, you register your copyrights and your yep. publishing. And it costs $65 um, to register 10 songs. And um, your move into sync licensing, like we were talking about yeah. earlier, is something that I wanted to highlight as well, because not too many people know. Right. You know? Uh, me and Dominic talked about it from Press City Gumbo, right? And when he was like, hey, man, you can help some of these bands maybe get some licensing. Okay, sure, man. Uh, tell them call me up. Uh, they call me up. Hey, man, you got your stuff uh, copyrighted? Uh, no, what's that? Yeah. Uh, you registered with a, B, with a PRO? Uh, no, we're with uh, some site that does like a Spotify type of thing that sends you music to Spotify. Well, that's not really, that's not really, that might get you into court, but it's not going to win the case. Yeah. You know, the no old mail, there was another thing where <clears throat> you could mail your song to yourself. To yourself, and that was, so, yeah. Well, I, over the last <clears throat> 12 years, I've done a lot of research and been to a lot of the sync licensing classes. Uh-huh. Through Tipitina's and different foundations, Jazz and Heritage Foundation has them like once a year you go in you meet these supervisors they tell you what you need to do and that'll get you in court but guess what it won't win the case yeah that doesn't mean nothing sure so unless you registered uh with a with a pro and you have you list your songs as you write them and you copyright them you go in and you just go in you um a hundred bucks to start a PR, uh, a publishing company and the money is in publishing. Yeah. And I can attest to that. I still make, I get a check every three months for publishing on songs that were licensed. Gotcha. You know, and I told you about another one where they owe me a lot of money and I haven't. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the bottom line is if you really don't care about what's going to happen in the future, and a lot of times when you're young, you don't, uh, then yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. But if you really want to, if you really want to own your music, I mean, that was a big thing with Prince. You found out like Prince, was, he was like, I own my music, man. He was, yeah. You know, like, sure. They've had a few. Uh, yeah, Ray Prince. Charles might have been the first. I don't remember. Right. Dave Bartholomew, man. 
I, I got the occasion to record with Dave Bartholomew. Most people don't know he was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He wrote most of the music that One Night With You, uh, Elvis made. Uh, mm -hmm. He wrote that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, The House Is Rocking. He was one of the first ones to mention rock and roll. Uh, all of those, uh, Walking to New Orleans, uh, all of those Fast Domino tunes. Dave Bartholomew wrote it. But he was smart in the 30s. He copyrighted his stuff. Yeah. He had a catalog of 280 <clears throat> songs that paid him every year. Wow. And his biggest one, he told me straight up. I said, what's your biggest one, moneymaker? One Night With You, he wrote for Smiley Lewis called One Night of Sin. Mm -hmm. But white people couldn't say that on the radio at that time. Uh -huh. So Elvis turned it into One Night With You. Nice. But Dave still made a hundred over 100000 a year on that one song worldwide. Yeah, and where did that go out? So that's like what today? That's right. a lot. That was 20, he told me this in 2001 when I recorded with him. Gotcha. So you can imagine what it's There's like. a lot of people that missed out over the years. And I, oh, yeah. I, would, I would think that people know, I would hope that people know that they need to go get their music copywritten. But you, you got sad stories like the, the Funk Brothers out of Motown. They, they, they kind of were in a situation where they, they sort of couldn't. I mean, okay, they were, it was music for hire, you know. Yeah, so it was a different situation. But so at, at least, I would say, you're saying people get the, the copyright and yeah. um, also uh, get your publishing. Um, mechanical yeah. royalties too. Yeah, you'll get but, mechanical royalties from doing that. Okay. Yeah. And um, you, uh, but you made the move into um, yeah, getting your music put into um, I went from video media. My songs to now, um, I'm doing scene. I just did a movie and I finished it last week where I did six songs. Uh, where I scored scene music, which is a little different in context. We talked about that. Sure. It's not really melodies and stuff. And when you get into doing uh, big movies like that, it's a contract that's called work for hire. Okay. Where they just pay you outright and you create a two chord song, build it up and do it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they own it. Sure. So that it's different than licensing your own stuff. Um, but there's bigger payoffs up front. Oh, gotcha, okay. And it's kind of a business that I kind of wanted to break my way into. So there's a work for hire thing, clause. Well, like, you know, they might offer you 10 grand to, to write music for this movie that they own. They'll own it because they keep it for their movie. Sure. Uh, so, and then there's also sync licensing where they take a song that you already wrote mm -hmm. and already did and they put it into the music of the show. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm I'm probably gonna get with you afterwards to maybe get a couple yeah, of resources. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're pretty much done it, man. All right. Hey, man. Good night, everybody. <laughs> See y'all later. Hey, this is Levi from Misled, Southern Brutality in 1016. Look, man, we all start off as jam bands. We get together, we push our souls all throughout the speakers, man. Simple as that. The connections that we form with our crowds and following is nothing like any other. We'd love to have you back. Click that on button, show your support, or you can check us out at Buy Me a Coffee. Black Backlash? Black, 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 black,